Welcome to the Bucket Problem, Episode 5. I am your host, Ace Anbender. We have a packed show for you today. We are going to discuss what was and was not said at Football Media Day. Uh, That'll be with Alex Cook and Dan coming up later. But first, we're going to do a little hockey. Michigan had five first-round draft picks in this week's draft. The first overall pick, Owen Power, to the Buffalo Sabres. The second overall pick, Maddie Beneers, to the Seattle Kraken, an expansion franchise with a fantastic name. Uh, incoming freshman Luke Hughes went fourth overall to the New-, New Jersey Devils. Kent Johnson went number five to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And another incoming freshman, Mackie Samuskevich, went 24th overall to the Florida Panthers. Uh, Michigan became... The first school to have teammates drafted 1-2 in an NHL draft. The first program with three current players drafted in the first round of a single draft. I believe they were the first school to have four of the top five at a uh, affiliated with a program at one time. This was an unprecedented draft in a number of ways. And because, as we all know, I am not much of a hockey expert... I brought one on, and she's Bailey Johnson, uh, a writer for the Columbus Dispatch, and more relevantly to this podcast, although her writing of the Columbus Dispatch is relevant, especially in Kent Johnson's case, Bailey is a Michigan Daily alum with an encyclopedic knowledge of the hockey program, so I'm very excited to have her on and, and discuss this remarkable draft coming up right now. All right, to discuss everything that has gone on with this remarkable NHL draft that Michigan just had, it is my pleasure to welcome Bailey Johnson of the Columbus Dispatch, Michigan Daily alum with a a ton of hours logged on the hockey beat. So I I couldn't think of anyone better to bring on to discuss all this. Uh, Bailey, I mean, you've covered a lot of these players. Um, First of all, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about what was an absolutely unprecedented draft for college hockey. So, I, I mean, I've I've mentioned a little bit in the preamble, but, you know, five players going in the first round. Um, that is obviously unprecedented uh, and having three of them be current players. So, I, I mean, just how unprecedented is this and how likely is it that uh we're going to get to see all of these guys play together for michigan it's incredibly unprecedented something like this has never happened in the history of college hockey at the nhl draft i was just reading the other day essentially the closest that's come to this was 2006 four of the top seven picks were from college hockey including three from minnesota this was four of the top five, all with Michigan ties. So it's still another level of impressive beyond that. Um, It's really hard to overstate what a draft it was for Michigan and how, I mean, just, I keep using the word unprecedented, but it's almost the only word there is to describe how unbelievable it really was for the program and for college hockey as a feeder to the NHL overall. As far as them playing together at Michigan this fall, I know Owen Power and Maddie Veneers both said before the draft that they're leaning towards coming back. 
those are the two that are really the question marks. Luke Hughes, Kent Johnson, Mackie Samuskevich are all, all but guaranteed to be coming. There's maybe a tiny bit of a question mark on Luke, but he has a lot of physical maturing to do. And I don't think the devils are in any hurry with him. So it's really Owen and Maddie that are kind of up in the air. They're going to be discussing it with their teams. I personally would expect them to be back. They both could go, they could play, but just like with Luke, it wouldn't do their organizations any favors to rush them. And I also know that having a real college experience is something that's important to them. So unless they get a really, really, really hard sell from Buffalo or Seattle, I would say there's probably a 70-30 chance they'll play for Michigan this fall. And do, do you think the way, obviously, that, that last season ended with them having a two-seed and then not being able to play in the NCAA tournament because of a COVID breakout, does that maybe pull these guys back a little bit more because of some unfinished business? Absolutely, it definitely does. That's something all three of them, Owen, Maddie, and Kent, have spoken on and said that there's another factor contributing to their decision to want to come back. So uh, if Michigan gets everyone back or even, you know, two out of three, uh, uh, you know, of the current players, uh, and although, like you said, Kent seems like a a lock to, to come back, uh, does that, while acknowledging that the NCAA to- hockey tournament is basically a random ge- number generator. Would getting everyone back make Michigan at least a, a favorite to reach the national title? Absolutely. Just like you said, the college hockey tournament is maybe one of the most random tournaments there is in college sports. Anything can happen, but certainly Michigan would be a very, very heavy favorite to go a really long way and make a serious push for the national championship. Is there another team at, at this point that even looks like they'd contend at this point or is it something where the, this is this would be the obvious number one off the top of my head i probably should have looked into this a little bit more off the top of my head i mean i think um minnesota is going to continue to be a threat that's a program that bob Motsko has really really turned around done some incredible things there as far as their recruiting um some of the teams out east i mean you can never count out a school like umass or bu or any of those but certainly michigan is in that top four conversation so for Michigan, I mean, obviously they have a ton of top-end talent. I, I think there may be as many as 13 draft picks on the roster this year, if my math is correct. Is there, I mean, obviously there's a certain amount of depth with that top-end talent when you have that many draft picks, but is there kind of uh, the complete team and uh, also uh, goaltending to match kind of that, that top-end talent? Yeah, so starting with the goaltending, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Straussman's departure was a little bit unexpected. Um, Eric Portillo is a pick of the Buffalo Sabres and should be very much ready to take on that role as the starter and do a good job. He was very, very solid in the games he got into last season, but he never has been the go-to guy in college before. So it's a little bit unproven, but certainly every expectation is that's something he'll be able to handle and will do quite well with. And um, I know they're looking to add somebody who's got some college experience as well. Um, Last I heard at the beginning of July, they were hoping to have that announced within the next few weeks. That obviously hasn't happened yet, but certainly I would expect another goalie with some college hockey experience to be added to the roster to sort of back up Eric Portillo in that spot. Um, In the skaters, it is truly an unbelievably deep team, both with the talent and the draft picks and without it. I mean, I, sketched out a vague depth chart and line chart last night and felt pretty solid about the 
four forward lines I'd put together and then realized I didn't have Brendan Brisson on the list, who is <laughs> a first round draft pick. So that tells you a little bit about what they're working with up front that I created what I felt like was a winning roster and I was missing a first round pick on the, on the lines. Um, defense will be, I wouldn't say a question mark, but certainly they're deeper up front than they are on the back end. There are a couple guys in their roster on D that I'm not so sure are valuable contributors at the college hockey level, but they've got six to seven guys who are going to be really strong there. And up front, I mean, they've got 16 forwards on the roster and they can dress 12 to 13 of them. So they should be in a pretty good spot. So if there's like maybe an Achilles heel for this team, it, it sounds like it might be on the back end, maybe if, if Portillo doesn't live up to expectations or, uh, you know, if the second or third defensive pairing isn't what they want, but for a college hockey team, that seems like, uh, about as minimal of like potential problems as you could have heading into a season. Definitely. And certainly, you know, there are question marks around the goaltending, but not as many as if it was say Eric Portillo coming in as a freshman, never having played, like we have seen him play. We know that he's good. He was a draft pick for a reason. So the questions are really just how he holds up under the scrutiny that comes with being the number one starter for a team that has such expectations as Michigan does. So with Mel Pearson, obviously, I mean, you know, he's helped, he's assembled quite a talented roster uh, with this team. Was this kind of, I mean, obviously we can't really expect like four of the top five every year to have a, a Michigan tie, but is this, was this like a, a pretty like remarkable random confluence of events or something that we should get accustomed to with the way Mel Pearson is taking the program or kind of something where it maybe falls somewhere in between? I'd say it falls somewhere in between. Mel is known to be an excellent recruiter and he hires people on his staff who are excellent recruiters. Bill Muckle does a really good job. And before he went to take the job at Colorado College, Chris Mayotte was the reason they got Maddie Veneers from Harvard late in the summer last year. So Mel's known to recruit well. He always says that he um, hates that there are rules limiting how much recruiting they can do. They can only see kids certain amount of times and all that sort of thing because he feels that if he wants to outwork somebody, he should be able to. Um, so certainly you can always expect him to have a couple high-end picks in every class, maybe not always multiple first rounders, but certainly, you know, one that's on the bubble and that sort of thing. But this was truly a unbelievable confluence of events between them getting Maddie Veneers to flip last summer, the age of Owen, Maddie and Kent with having the late birthday and coming to college in their draft year. You won't see something like this again, I don't think, but certainly you can always expect that their recruiting classes to be strong and have some high-end draft talent in there. I also assume that Michigan will be able to a certain extent to uh, re recruit off of this draft class. So I, I imagine this is the type of success where it builds upon itself to a certain extent. And is this a situation where, I, I mean, Michigan got a two seed last year, even though it felt like they were a bit unlucky in terms of how the, the season played out, uh, even in the regular season. So is this kind of, you know, sort of a, a turning point to Michigan returning to being the the level of program that we very much got accustomed to when when red berenson was at his peak i think that's certainly the hope um around the team they have been unlucky in recent years even thinking back to my first year on the beat quinn hughes's sophomore year or even the frozen four year before that when they had that unlucky goal going on hayden levine in the frozen four i mean they've had some talented teams and have been bit with various unlucky bugs so we'll see if they're able to 
I don't want to say break the curse because that sounds a little bit dramatic, but there's definitely a little bit of some bad mojo hanging on around them in the postseason. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to break free of that. But certainly everything's there on paper for them to recruit off of this class and keep building and bring the program back to its days of winning national titles. So I, I want you to answer this like I perhaps have only been able to watch a handful of hockey games over the last couple of years because that that may or may not be the case. And also, as somebody who uh, is a, a Detroit Red Wings fan, I maybe have lapsed a little bit in following the NHL. So I, I want to get a sense both for what these each of these first-rounders is bringing to the table at Michigan and also uh, you know what kind of future just got laid out for them in this draft. So I, I, I think I'll start by asking, which which of these five do you think landed in the best pro situation in terms of which uh, which organization they got drafted by? I think I have to say Maddie Veneers. I really have a lot of respect for the way Seattle has built their front office. They're really leaning heavy into analytics. They really feel strongly about having a diverse group of people. I think they were pretty set on making their front office 50% women, which is almost unheard of. Um, Obviously, there's a little bit lower pressure with an expansion franchise. There's a lot to figure out. Um, So I have to kind of believe that that's going to be a good situation where he's getting it on the ground floor and is going to be able to help shape that franchise in the way they want it to go as being the first ever draft pick of the history of the team is pretty cool. Um, Sneakily, I actually think Mackie Samuskevich landed in a good situation in Florida. He's not getting quite the same billing that the other four are, but Obviously, they made the playoffs this past year. I have a lot of respect for their general manager, Bill Zito, and they're kind of on the up and up now, doing some good moves, making some big trades. And I think that could be a good situation for him in the future as well. I'm glad I didn't take any guesses on that because the expansion franchise and the Florida franchise would not have been high on my list. <laughs> um, although I know Buffalo is uh, has seen better days. I'll put it that way. Um, but they are getting Owen Power, so... I mean, we should start with him because he he is the number one draft pick. He was, I I believe, very much expected to go number one heading into this draft. And I I mean, he jumps out to me as somebody who uh, watched a decent amount of hockey in the past, but has lapsed in recent years as just somebody who, when when you see him on the ice, there's not like, if you ask somebody to pick out the number one overall draft pick after watching a team for 10 minutes, I think a lot of people would point to Owen power because of just, you know, his combination of size and just how, how smooth he is at that size. So what really jumps out to you about his game and what it's like to watch him? Yeah, I mean, it obviously starts with the size, but I think people get a little bit almost blinded by the fact that he is six, five, six, six, whatever they're saying he is these days. It seems like he keeps growing. Um, but he really is just a genuinely good hockey player. He's not a good skater for being 6'6". He's just a good skater, period, end of story. Um, I do think the size a little bit um, puts a sparkle in people's eye about him. He has he would not have been my number one overall pick. He's an incredibly talented hockey player. I personally would have taken Matty Veneers first overall and taken Owen second. Um, he's an incredibly talented hockey player. He's going to be a top pair defenseman in the NHL for a very, very long time. But when you talk about number one overall defenseman, I think he might be more of an Eric Johnson than a Rasmus Dahlin long-term, which is nothing wrong with that. Just not quite the same game-breaking talent that some of the others have had. 
So is this a situation where, you know, he's he's the top prospect, at least by the way the draft shook out on the team, but might not be uh, the most impactful this season at the college level? I think he's got a really good chance to dominate this season at the college level. He didn't have to take on that role last year because he's played on the second pair and they had Cam York up on the top pair. It was sort of a 1A, 1B situation with them, the third pair playing much fewer minutes. But this year he will be their number one defenseman, I believe, and he'll be given every opportunity to take on that role and have a really dominant season in college, which I think is something that will be important for him as he develops. So what is it? What's the biggest area where um, you're looking for him to to improve to kind of fulfill that you know number one with a bullet uh, defensive position? It's the offense. He's perfectly passable offensively, and he's you know makes good first passes, has good vision in the offensive zone, all those sorts of things. But he really does have actually a pretty good set of hands, and I would like to see him just take games over a little bit more. He is incredibly relaxed when you watch him play, which is oftentimes an asset, but there are times where he could speed things up a little bit and take over the game in that way. And I would like to see him develop that sort of game-breaking instinct a little bit more. So I think you might have uh, given this away a little bit with your answer about who you would have taken number one, but who's your favorite of the the rest of the uh, first-rounders? It's really kind of two, obviously. I, you know, Maddie is just the kind of hockey player you want on your team is how I always describe him. He, you get exactly the same player at home away. If you're winning, if you're losing, it doesn't matter. He is going to give you everything he's got. He's going to play a full 200 foot game. He's going to be defensively responsible. He's going to contribute in the offensive zone. He's going to win battles. He's going to do everything he can to give your team the win. Um, And I think that is an incredibly projectable way to play hockey. He, is a little bit Jonathan Taves-esque in that way. Just a super, super, super rock solid. I would not be surprised to see him win the Selkie one day kind of player. Um, I think Ken Johnson has probably the highest ceiling of any of them. He's a little bit more raw physically and has a lot of developing to do in his body, but the skill is absolutely off the charts. And it would not surprise me long-term to see him turn out to be the most impactful player from this draft. He definitely jumps out in terms of just having unbelievable hands uh a couple of his goals are, are it will put your jaw on the floor I, i've been able to watch enough to catch that um with with luke hughes uh how i mean obviously michigan fans should be pretty familiar with the hughes family because of quinn how does he uh compare to you know uh, this is now maybe the first family of uh hockey hockey defensemen at the very least but um how does he how does he compare Well, somebody asked him this actually when he was available before the draft. And he said, well, one way we're different is that I'm 6'2 and I can kill penalties. So that is true. He is a lot taller than Quinn. They skate very, very similarly. I remember watching some highlights of him when he was at the development program as a 17-year-old and he was wearing the same number Quinn had worn. And I literally thought it was a video of Quinn because they're so similar in the way that they skate and the way they move the puck up the ice. He's a lot like Quinn and he's super dynamic offensively. He can honestly do things with the puck that blow your mind a little bit. Um, He's got some developing to do in his body, like I said earlier, and um, his defensive game sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired with some of his decision-making, but those are fixable things. And the skating is such an unbelievable separator as a tool and a skill for him that he is going to be incredibly fun to watch. So there's also... The Mackie Samuskevich, who we talked about a little bit as uh, kind of the 
somewhat overlooked fifth first rounder for Michigan in this draft. There's also uh, you've got Johnny Beecher and Brendan Brisson as as first round picks already on the roster. Thomas Bordalo is a second rounder. Uh, Dylan Duke, another incoming freshman, went in the fourth round. You know, there's there's obviously a long, long list of really talented players out, outside of the uh, of that top top group. Who are you most excited to see hit the ice and and kind of see how they're developing? I have a big soft spot for Johnny Beecher and the way he plays hockey. Um, so I'm really hoping to see him take a big step this year. He had a pretty tough year last year. He had shoulder surgery in the spring, I can't remember if it was February or March, they cut his season short early and he didn't quite step up offensively the way they had hoped he would after a strong freshman year. Um, So I'm really hoping that he has a big year and really steps into a probably second line center role, contributes a lot more offensively, develops the ability to take over a game that I believe he has. Um, I'm also excited to watch Mackie Samuskevich. He's got, like Kent Johnson, a lot of puck skill in a different way, more of a playmaker than Kent. Kent can do a lot of crazy goal scoring and Mackie will make passes that'll blow your mind. Um, He's also like a lot of them has some physical developing to do, and he's not necessarily the guy you want going into a wall battle. It's probably not going to be the one that comes out with the puck, but the way he plays, the way he makes plays and the way he distributes, I think is going to be really, really fun to watch. And it'll be interesting to see sort of how he fits into a really stacked lineup. I I would say Michigan has definitely been associated with some high powered offenses recently uh or at least that that has been my impression of what do you expect in terms of the style of play of this team and what we can expect uh for people who might be tuning in to watch a team that uh, of this level of talent that you know haven't been following before mel's always said he likes to let him go he likes to let him run and take over and i think this team is going to score a lot of goals if you look at, I mean, someone like Brendan Brisson, who we've hardly even talked about as a first-round pick and has probably one of the best one-timers I've ever seen. So if he's hitting those, if Matty Veneers steps – Matty Veneers is excellent offensively, but he was really figuring things out towards the end of last year and really coming into a new level. So see if he continues that development. Thomas Bordalo, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen that goal he scored in the overtime winner at Wisconsin that was on the Sports Center top 10. I mean, he's got an unbelievable amount of talent. Kent Johnson, Matthew Samuskevich on the back end. You've got Power, Hughes, Nick Blankenberg, who will be their captain and is one of my personal favorites on the team as well. He's a really strong offensive defenseman as well. I mean, you up and down the lineup and there's a lot of offense coming from a lot of different places. I think this team is going to score a lot of goals. Well, I I imagine that is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, Bailey, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, This this was a lot more than I could have done on hockey. I, w- I will put it that way. Um, so before I let you go, please tell us where we can find you. Uh, plug your work because it is excellent. Yeah, you can find me at the Columbus Dispatch. I cover high school sports and also help out a good amount with our um, Blue Jackets coverage. So if you want to read about Kent Johnson, I wrote a profile of him both before the draft and after he was picked at fifth overall with some insight into what position he's going to play at Michigan next year and what the Blue Jackets expectations are for him. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Bailey A. Johnson underscore, where I am almost always tweeting about hockey. Fantastic. Well, I hope everyone follows Bailey, and and uh, especially if you're at all interested in hockey. Um, it's a sport that I have lapsed on, but I need to get back into. And uh, Bailey has helped me make me very excited for Michigan hockey this season. So 
thank you so much for that. And uh, look forward to perhaps catching up with you as uh, as Michigan gets into this season. Uh, so thanks again for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Bucket Problem, as always, is brought to you by Home Field Apparel. Please use the promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order from Home Field at homefieldapparel.com. I'm currently uh, owning four, yes, four Minnesota shirts at this point. I, I think one for, I've got one each for baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. So that is what Home Field has turned me into. Uh, Florida has been teased now as this week's big new Saturday school. I'm running out of things to harass Connor about, so I'm going to throw it to my co-hosts, Alex and Dan, this week. Alex, you got something for us? Yeah, I'm thinking with the, uh, you know, big new Saturday launch of Florida that Homefield should expand into the Jorts space. Um, The brand synergy between Florida and Jorts, like, I don't even need to even go into that. Everybody knows already, but Jorts legitimately are pretty comfortable and, you know, nice in the summer to wear, like... Even as a Michigan man, I am not above wearing jorts, and I would just like to implore the wonderful folks at Homefield to perhaps give us some branded jorts, you know, not even just Florida jorts. I'm sure, like, Florida State could work. Um, you have a lot of other SEC schools, including <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma, that could work there. Um, so, yeah, let's let's make it happen, Connor. All right. Uh, branded jorts. That is this week's harassment campaign. Let's uh, let's make it happen. Uh, and while they do not have branded jorts yet, you can get a, a lot of wonderful shirts, hoodies. You can get joggers. You got a lot of options at homefieldapparel.com. Once again, promo code bucket problem. And now we turn to football. Uh, and the most exciting event of everybody's summer, <laughs> Football Media Day. And for this segment, that's right, baby. I, I am going to turn it over to the person who paid attention, <laughs> and that person uh, was Dad. By paid attention, I mean I I, I got like most of the uh, the highlights coming across my Twitter feed and all, all the good sound bites, and you know reacted to them uh, without reading the full quote. You know, as that is counts. tradition on, on Media Day. Yeah, that counts. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, as everyone knows, that Media Days are my favorite part of the college football preseason, even arguably better than <laughs> Opening Day itself. Um, I would I would I would wager I would uh, as a Michigan fan, Media Day is even sometimes better than uh, the actual season. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I would say that this overall, this was a, uh, a non-eventful media day. Um, it was, it was marginally interesting to see, uh, some of the coaches that we hadn't seen before that didn't get to do media day last year, you know, answer some questions. Um, but really not a whole lot of like, normally there's some like petty beefs that come out, some like really good sound bites, bites, but, uh, nothing, nothing crazy happened this year. Um, and, uh, you know, all jokes aside, I find media days um, usually incredibly nauseating in terms of <laughs> the types of the types of questions that are asked, um, the types of softball uh, questions that are asked to coaches and, you know, the, the way that we get a lot of milk toast answers and, um, you know, cookie cutter comments. Um, so I'll kick it over to you guys for, for a question how do you what what is your i guess what's your current opinion on media days i'm i'm assuming it's relatively oh, negative man. but uh and and then second of all how could they be better 
I would actually say uh, that there was something kind of interesting and exciting was the Jim Harbaugh saying that they would beat Ohio State or die trying. Um, I don't know if the implication there is he'll do Harry Carey at midfield if they lose. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of media day, it's just part of the content churn, right? Like, um, you know, the programs want to get people excited heading into the season. Obviously, uh, college football news media is kind of lacking for stories in you know, the dog days of summer and Hey, here we are discussing it ourselves. Second hand. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they serve a, an actual purpose, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much, yeah, actually useful stuff you're going to get out of there, but I don't know that Jim, Jim Harbaugh's packed to, uh, fight Ohio state to the death. That was a little eye opening to me. I'm sure he wasn't, you know, speaking figuratively there. I'm, I'm sure he actually meant that literally. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how much you can <clears throat> improve media days necessarily, and I, 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 I've been to one, uh, and I should note, it was just one. Didn't decide it was worth going back necessarily, and neither did anyone else at go blog. So uh, I was there, I think it was 2000, yeah, because Denard Robinson gave the keynote speech, so it must have been 2012. Um, a wonderfully cursed year. And uh, it there was value in being a media member there, but in the way that like attending a convention holds value, it it wasn't necessarily like, sure you're getting stuff for your stories, and and that that definitely is a, a big part of what comes out of media days, but a lot of it is also just like networking with people and being present, and you know being being seen by the people who are going to be handing out credentials, uh, especially if you're like, you know, like somebody like me who was kind of on the fringe of being able to get credentialed to certain larger events, that there was a certain incentive to get noticed at Big Ten media days, not necessarily by asking a question, but by like walking up to somebody and introducing yourself. And there's definitely this feeling of you, like people are trying to have a decent time, like everybody's going out at night and and getting drinks and that sounds so fun just getting getting drinks with all my favorite college football uh, <laughs> did, beat <right>? writers <laughs> i love yeah the idea of tossing shots back at the bar with graham couch like that's a dream come true for some of us oh, and man. paul fanson who was there this year who was there and got a question off uh yeah uh, <laughs> and he did not include a, a go green in his question unlike somebody yeah, no, who no, uh no, we asked harbaugh a question we will get to that so so there is i mean like Along those lines, there is kind of, along with these coaches really, you know, doing their best to sell their programs, because that's what they're doing at this point in the year. They're they're selling their programs, or if they're downplaying it, you know they're going to be bad, because it means that coach is trying to protect against getting fired already, and it's July. <laughs> I do love when that happens. That is, that is I think Scott Frost was one of the most masterful uh, of doing that a couple of years ago. When he, um, I think his first year at Nebraska, he was basically all but said, like, guys, this team is ass. And <laughs> that was, and it, it worked because everyone just was writing stories that offseason about just like, you know, it's going to be a building year. And it, it did, I mean, look, Scott Frost has now developed his own problems after being there for several years. But uh, it did sort of, um, you know, it helped, it helped muffle the blow of that first horrendous year uh, there with Scott Frost. 
Oh, there there are definitely ways to work the local media. I would also add uh, the Nebraska local media may be more inclined to getting worked than some other <laughs> local medias. Uh, but unlike uh, unlike the uh, Michigan lo- uh, the Michigan beat, which never um, is is taken for a ride by the Michigan coaching staff, no, certainly wouldn't shy away from the hard questions. Uh, no, we <laughs> never see excessive partisanship from uh, the Michigan media corps. Anyway, I, now that I've, I'm chasing away all my friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Have you guys heard of this uh, blue wall? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I guess we, we, using that as a uh, a segue, I, I think we'd be remiss at least not to talk about how, um, you know, we all feel that it that at least one or two questions should have been asked of Jim Arba, especially considering the comments he gave a, a few weeks ago re- regarding uh, – the situation with Bo Schembechler and um, I just I don't know if we have any real commentary on that but I would say that you know I, I think I think that I, I hope I'm not speaking out of term when I say that you know it was disappointing to see that nobody even even broached that subject even even tangentially yeah I, I, I agree it was I, I did tune in for Jim Harbaugh's part of the media day's because I was curious to see if anybody would dare to broach the subject. And I think it's one of the reasons why media days are are just never going to be that interesting is in part because of the kind of nature of how it goes, which is that you kind of don't want to bring down the room by asking a tough question sometimes. And, and that can get in the way for a lot of people. And uh, people don't want to ask a question where you know that you're going to piss off the coach, or at least that's how a lot of people approach it. Um, and that means that they're going to get a lot of softballs instead of questions that they need to answer. Now, it, I also think this is a media blind spot because certainly coaches under certain levels of scandal do get hard-hitting questions at media days, especially when they have to face media that isn't just the normal local beat that they have but for Harbaugh's segment um all the local stuff was was pretty softball-y including somebody who threw out a go blue before asking their question and uh to not ask a coach about comments that I would say borderline on victim blaming and certainly uh, went against everything that we've seen and learned from the Wilmerhair report uh, which had, uh, I mean, that is the documented evidence that we have to go on, and it is damning on Bo Schembechler. And for Jim Harbaugh to say what he said and still be in a position to speak on behalf of the football program and the university and to not have to address his comments about Schembechler, uh, I find that disgusting, and I, I, I was, I would not say surprised, but uh, I was disappointed that nobody asked him about that. I think a lot of beat reporters head into the press conferences knowing what kind of story they're going to write. And I don't think that there is much appetite among the press corps to really cover that. Um, at least his comments that he made, I think it was at a football camp at Ferris State where he said that, you know, Schembechler, that the bow that he knew would have never turned a blind eye um, despite a lot of Harbaugh's former contemporary saying that he did in fact do that. Um, I don't know how we necessarily fix that problem. I don't know how um, 
these outlets can be convinced to cover that story with the, I guess, gravity that it deserves. But, um, you know, for, you know, even national outlets or local outlets, I, I don't know that they're going to be touching this one. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I do think to put up a defense to, uh, especially the local beat reporters, although I, I still don't think this excuses Harbaugh not getting questioned about this. There is the matter of the school controlling media access and controlling, uh, you know, at home press conferences it, it, to a large extent who gets to ask the questions. And and I mean, that's a problem with the school, you know, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, all joking aside, like the, the blue, you know, the blue wall in so far as it exists um, is the university, you know, you know, not allowing certain questions at press conferences and uh, limiting the, the types of information that gets out. And I think that, you know, I think that. It, it, it's tough and I think that I, I don't want I don't want to go too far into it or get too get too down on this podcast but uh, I, I think that you know it it is something that you know I, I it does make me um, it does make me somewhat ashamed to you know to, to be associated with the university you know it makes me ashamed of how of how they're handling it in, in some respects I guess yeah and I, I don't necessarily think that you know I wouldn't say Michigan is actively shutting down questions about this, but they're certainly not answering them. And they're letting Jim Harbaugh speak in this sort of unofficial capacity because it's not, you know, a quote unquote real press conference that he's giving and he's giving comments on this. But then there's no in the vacuum that is them having any comment on this other than that they're investigating basically um and that there are lawsuits at play so they don't want to talk about it uh we're left with what's come out of the mouths of people who are affiliated with the university and jim harbaugh is the most prominent person affiliated with the university of michigan and his comments supported bo Beckler. and i yeah I i don't think michigan is necessarily actively keeping people from asking uh, these difficult questions, but the way things are set up dissuades a lot of people from wanting to ask this question because it's more trouble than it's worth. And even if the question is asked, I would expect that the answer would be the same. Um, I don't know why Harbaugh would be inclined to change his mind and suddenly have an about face and be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I trust these guys. Bo must have known. Um, I feel like he's going to continue to to defend that. That would be worthwhile to get. Yeah, I, right. I, I I think you'd be worth you'd be more likely to get a no comment. Yeah, yeah. that's and, true. And, and let me let me just be clear about I, I, I we've gone along long on this on this topic, so I'll I'll try not to. But I do want to say like I am slightly sympathetic, slightly sympathetic to Jim Harbaugh's point of view. In that Bo Schembechler was someone that was a father figure to him, and he probably didn't know that Bo knew about you know what was going on at the time. So I'm saying I'm saying Harbaugh did not know that Bo knew at the time when he was yeah. a player, and I can imagine if someone that was a father figure to me was you know 
posthumously found to have ignored something like this. And I can imagine how I would feel and the things that I might say in the heat of the moment. But that said, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not, you know, I'm not Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has a responsibility to be a face of the university. And and if Jim Harbaugh can't have the good sense to say the right things in, in that situation, then then someone at the university needs to, to tell him what he needs to say, quite frankly. Um, so uh, that's, that's, that's the last thing I guess I'll say on it. Yeah. It's a, it's a failure of both Harbaugh and the athletic department and university to, to not address it. And I, I agree. There is a certain level of sympathy that should be had for Harbaugh having to come to terms with this, but yeah, that, I mean, that nobody sat him down well before he gave those comments and told him, Hey, like, regardless of what you think right now, you know, just no comment, just, just no comment. And, you know, until you're, you know, unless you're ready to give a particularly uh, careful statement on the matter. So no comment would have been the play that I think, and he didn't do that and they haven't rectified it. Yeah. So moving on to um, now that we've, you know, spent enough time talking about that and, uh, and uh, probably lost some listeners. Um, I guess we can move on to a little bit more of the actual football part of it. Um, so uh, a couple a couple of things that you know came out. Um, Harbaugh did say that uh, Cade McNamara is uh, definitively the starter, at least heading into fall camp. Um, this stands in contrast to pretty much what he's done every other year. I think. Even when uh, Wilton Spate was coming back in 2017 and when Shea Patterson was coming back in 2019, he did not uh, ever really um, like name a starter, I don't think, coming into fall camp. So uh, a little bit different there. Um, not sure how much it means. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll throw it over to you guys. A- any thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think it could get confusing with the uh, Detroit Pistons potentially drafting Cade Cunningham uh, in a couple of days here. <laughs> we got too many Cades. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good sign. I don't know. You can, you can look at it however you want. You can say, oh, it's a good sign that he trusts the guy with, you know, a couple years of experience in the system and some snaps under his belt. Um, or you could say, well, it's a bad thing that the, you know, newcomers aren't ready to actually challenge him for that. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess my expectation is that Michigan's quarterback play will be pretty much like it's been for every year under Harbaugh, but hopefully uh, Cade and his motivational locker room speeches, hopefully he, <laughs> he brings some glory to Ann Arbor. Let's build on this shit, boys. Yeah. yeah what, what if we won all of our fucking games? What would they say then, huh? <laughs> Honestly, the, the best point that any Michigan quarterback has ever made, I think, is what if what if they did win all their games? That who? What would they say then? Hey, yeah, Mich- they, they would forget won. about it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if you don't know what if you don't know what we're referring to, uh, just you know, I don't even know how you would find this, but I guess <laughs> go go on. Go on Michigan Twitter and just search around a little bit. You'll see the the clip being handed uh, back the post-game speech. Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> Thrilling victory great. over Rutgers locker room speech. <laughs> awesome. Our our beautiful boy. Um uh so yeah, and then I, I think uh, another note that we saw on the, on the offensive side of the ball, um I think 
Jim, reading between the lines a little bit, which is really the only way that you can glean anything meaningful <laughs> out of uh, media days, um, it felt like Jim Harbaugh made a, a big deal of the fact that their, the offensive staff was talking to each other a lot, um, communicating a lot on the same page, um, which, you know, you would hope would be the case all the time. <laughs> but it um, hasn't always been necessarily. But it hasn't always. And uh, I think specifically it it felt very much like the man that was that was left out of the room, Ed Warner, was the person that was sort of being like subtweeted. Um, implication being that Ed Warner and Josh Gaddis maybe didn't see eye to eye all the time. And uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll uh, again. I'll kick it over to my co-host. So do we do we have any thoughts? Do we buy that as a reason that the offense wasn't good last year? Or uh, I don't know. What what are our thoughts? I, I mean, I would I would certainly buy that there was dysfunction in a Jim Harbaugh coaching staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It would not be the first time that not everybody was on the same page, especially when it comes to the offensive line. It seems like Harbaugh has had a difficult time finding the right guys since Tim Drevno proved to not be the right guy. And he does tend to part ways with coaches on on terms that don't always seem to be super great and are on a relatively quick timeline. And that tends to say something when you're reading between the lines of coaching moves because th- these guys aren't really going to badmouth each other. They're, uh, the coaching community is uh, both large and small. Um, and so you really have to do something drastic to get somebody to go on the record. But yeah, I would say reading between the lines, it seems like there was some tension on last year's coaching staff uh, on that offensive side. Now, will that get solved this year? I will not pretend to have any idea because uh, yeah. I've made predictions on that before and been very, very wrong. Yeah, I kind of see it as just off-season pablum. Like, yeah, there might have been communication issues last year, but I don't know that Harbaugh signaling good communication is necessarily going to portend a, a good season on offense, especially with a guy who has, – has he ever coached – has more ever coached um, the offensive line before? No. He was an offensive lineman in college. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I do. I do think that, that as a proper reaction. <laughs> yeah. As much as the organizational uh, issues have hurt the offense during Harbaugh's tenure, uh, I would say that injuries on offense last year may have played a role as well, particularly on the offensive line. And then you had your best offensive player opting out as well. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. Like problems between the coaches was the number one problem with last year's offense. I would say the general approach and utilization of talent. And yeah, uh, there were a lot of problems with last year's offense, and that would, would probably be relatively far down the list. So my, my concern is more that it seems like Harbaugh can never quite assemble a staff uh, that he can truly work with. <laughs> And we're, you know, might be when there's one constant, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, that that might be the problem. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you guys largely. Like, I, on one level, I do buy, I, I don't, not, not only do I buy that there was, uh, offensive, uh, miscommunication last year, I totally like would bet that there was, you know, I think 
specifically, you know, Harbaugh himself can be tough to work with, but um, I think that Ed Warner has also gained a reputation. If you talk to certain people as someone that might be uh, a bit a bit tough to work with as well, um, and uh, so so I could totally buy that happening. Um, the the thing is here that you know Jim Harbaugh in 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 six years in has yet to really put together an offense that feels like it goes together, you know, like that that the run game plays off of the passing game, which, you know, has the the, the, the passing game plays off the run game and, and the run game works everyone's strengths and the passing game, you know, utilizes the talent. Like it outside of, I would say, like a handful of games in 2019 and then the Minnesota game in 2020, those are really the only times that I felt like we have a coherent like offensive system. And I don't, you know, look, I'm hopeful. I'd be, I'd be happy to be wrong, but I don't see, you know, it, it's very, it's one thing to uh, to get along in the off season um, before the bullets start flying, and another thing once you know things uh, start going wrong and hitting the fan, and we start to you know get more and more um, you know dysfunction back in the offensive staff. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess I would I. I'll say that I buy that it was an issue. I don't think it was the issue, and I'm not convinced that it will necessarily be fixed. Um, if, the, so. if there's one thing I will, I, I will say, if there's one thing to be said for Sharon Barr, it's that he probably doesn't have any designs on getting his hands in on the coordinating aspect of the offense, and that has kind of been a problem with all of the other offensive line coaches. That is true. Yeah, that is. I mean, Drevno, Drevno and, and Warner really did kind of have. As good as Warner was as an offensive line coach, um, I, I and with uh, risking getting too much in X's and O's here, as good as Warner was as put at putting together an offensive line, I do think there were times when it felt like okay, Warner clearly just called that run play and it made no sense in the context of the rest of this game. <laughs> yeah, ask uh, you know X's and O's inclined to Ohio State fans how it was going when Warner was in charge of calling their run plays. Because yeah. I don't think they loved it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Then again, they do complain about pretty much everything. So that's true. <laughs> it still went fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, our eleven and one team wasn't good enough this year, guys. There's all these uh... problems with it. <laughs> I, I it is it does go to show you that like I do I do gain a certain level of uh, comfort knowing that from the Ohio State fans that I do know that like they're still unhappy with their team. So like. Really, maybe none of us are happy, you know, <laughs> unless you're like Alabama. That's that's like the only fan base in the country that's truly happy. <laughs> so kind of moving on to uh, a similar parallel on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it, 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 I think the main, uh, the main thing that we heard from both Harbaugh and from the, uh, the players that were there was um, less predictability. Um, also kind of some, some of the same... I actually kind of the the opposite problem um, on the defensive staff was that it felt like um, Harbaugh really emphasized the fact that everyone was like talking to each other and like throwing around ideas and like throwing things out, um, implying that maybe Don Brown had grown sort of set in his ways and was not willing to hear suggestions. So on the offensive side of the ball, we have more cohesion, you know, less ideas, um, and uh, on the defensive side of the ball we have more ideas um so i guess kind of same question like 
do we buy it? Do we think it matters? Um, you know, what's what's uh, how much of this is just pablum? I mean, most of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're talking about a pretty like offhand quote that he's making uh, in terms of the implication about you know last year's staff not communicating that well, or or Don Brown maybe being stuck in his ways and. Every media day with every new defensive coordinator, you're always going to hear about their how they're going to be more varied and aggressive. And this, I mean, he also said some stuff about, you know, being a good teacher and communicator, but that that's more like, you know, pretty general stuff. So, and, and this is a guy who came over from his brother. And that was also like part of the context is, you know, why did he bring him over? And it was like, well, my brother liked him. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, really, that was pretty much the answer. No, it was. It was, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's hard to read much into it. The defense is going to look a little different. Like, other than that, I really, that I don't know how much to read into anything that, that came out of Well, you know, Ace, we, we needed a podcast segment, so, you, you <laughs> know, we're, we're talking, so we're talking about media days. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Michigan's defense probably not going to be super good. So what do you even say if you're trying to, to set expectations high? Like, oh, the players are having fun out there. <laughs> Coaches are really talking and coaching them up. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they they touched on the things I wanted them to touch on, which are like Aiden Hutchinson is very good. And uh, they're coaching them. Yeah, they're coaching them. <laughs> Our big Look. fellas are eating uh three large pizzas per day to, to try to grow into nose tackles. It is funny. I feel like, um, you know, look, this is all, this is all obviously pablum and it like, isn't going to matter once the bullets start flying, but it like really, like, even though we all say that, right? Like every fan base, every podcast you listen to, every preview is like, look, it's just media day. Like it's just, the coaches are just saying things, blah, blah, blah. Like you always do have a certain level, even with the most like, the most um, uh, a jaded of fans of like, okay, but this year, like, they, like, you know, there is like a fresh start. It's like, well, they made all those mistakes last year, but like, I'm sure that they've learned from them, you know, and like, we're not going to have any of those like dumb penalties or we're not going to have any of those bad offensive calls, like, like, whatever. Even though you have like, like, these are the same people, you know, like, it's the same coaches. They're, they're all, you know, they've got the same people in the room. Like, there's no reason to believe that, but there is always, you know, sort of that eternal optimism. So, you know, it's it's what I appreciate about college football. And uh, I, uh, I I hope that even, you know, when I'm 20 years down the road and, and we're still having a losing streak to Ohio State <laughs> and we're still still hearing the same things at media days that, you know, a little part of me does go like, well, you know, I mean, look, <laughs> maybe maybe they really have figured it out. But hey, Jim Harbaugh's buyout is going to be super low by that point. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and well, Iowa State... will be moving on any day. Iowa State will be in a mid-major conference by that point, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say there there was one not, like, just, like, totally blowing sunshine answer, and it was, a, like, answering the question by omission. And that was Harbaugh getting asked about uh, losing quitty pay, and the second part of that question was asking who would step up to replace him. And he gave a really great answer about how good a football player and human being Quiddy Pay is and how good Aiden Hutchinson is and did not mention a single other football player. <laughs> so 
If you're wondering who else steps up on the edge, it's uh, more Aiden Hutchinson. That's what it we're only gonna have. Like. We're only gonna have one edge in this offense. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the offense is gonna set it, and that's when they're gonna figure it out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's me funny, but. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I think overall, but like, look, on the other hand, you know, we, we've heard all kinds of things in media days about how well certain players are doing, and it, it was kind of refreshing just not to hear that, <laughs> and I don't, I'm, I'm so, I'm so uh, skeptical of just like how much any of this means um, in terms of like, you know, we used to, we used to say like, oh, well, you know, if the, if the coaches are bringing somebody up that they don't have any reason to bring up, like that probably means good things, like, no, you know, I, I think sometimes the coaches just bring guys up because it, they, they get asked a question. And a lot of, and like us on this podcast, we sort of just have to start talking and figure it out as we as we go. And uh, that might be why some people get mentioned and others don't. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, a lot of the reasoning that goes into who they bring to Media Day is who's good in front of a microphone. And that, uh, while a valuable skill, has very little to do with being good at football. Now that said, I I was excited to see Hassan Haskins included because I I, I want him to be the number one running back just because I think he's proven that he should be that at this point. But um, do I, I agree? Him being I agree. Necessarily not not, a, not according to Connor. Not yeah, I was to about Connor. to say you're uh, you're getting this takeout when uh, the biggest Blake Corum fan <laughs> on the podcast is out. I'm picking my spots. Uh, I too think that Haskins is the best running back on the team, though. Yeah, no, he's he's being overlooked. People are people are low key sleeping on Haskins. He's a, he's a problem. He is a problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that's what I've got on media days. Um, I think overall my my thoughts are that you know for all the talk of like dysfunction and and and, uh, and you know culture issues and whatever like. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to the season. I know I wasn't on the, 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 uh, the, the pod when, uh, we were talking about, you know, what, what to look forward to. I am looking forward to the season. I don't necessarily think the team is going to be very good, but I just, I like football, football season is my favorite time of year. And, uh, one of my favorite seasons of all time was my, my freshman year, 2014, when the team was awful. Oh. So I'll be, I'll be looking forward to, uh, more, more just for the fact that it was my freshman year. And, uh, you know, it, it felt like. It, it felt like uh, a lot of things were on the horizon <laughs> that, that uh, you know, ended up being, but, uh, you know, maybe not exactly the way I wanted to go. Anyway, point being that I'm excited for the team, and I hope all these things are, are, are true, that, you know, things are going to be better and that, that you know, they, they figured it out and, and there's a youthful energy and all that stuff. But, you know, I think at this point you'd be, you'd be a fool not to realize the trend, and that is that, you know, like, the, the, this, this dysfunction and... Uh, all the other things that are associated with this program at this point is is not necessarily a bug of of Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. It's it's you know it's a feature, and uh, you know it, it does come from Jim Harbaugh, I think. And um, you know I, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I, I do think we're going to continue to see that dysfunction, um, you know, until such time as uh, we are announcing the uh, the hiring of Matt Campbell next season. All right, you you turned that around the, at the end. I was I was wondering how I was going to transition into the vibe segment without uh, really having to force it. But uh, Matt Campbell, good vibe. Um, so yeah, we're on to good vibes and bad vibes now. Um, and Dan, I will throw it right back to you because you you said you had one heading in. Um, what is your vibe of the week? 
my I don't remember saying you can cut this out, but I don't remember saying that I had one going in. I was oh my bad! It was, I was gonna be. <laughs> was I was gonna be after somebody, um, but let me. <laughs> I uh, know uh, you should definitely keep this. Keep it all. Yeah, what yeah, is you, your, yeah, what's your vibe, Dan? Uh, my uh, vibe of the week um, is uh, I, I would say I would say excitement. You know, I think I think I'm officially in anticipation season for the se- uh, anticip- anticipation the anticipation portion of the preseason. Um, you know, I I in previous years, you know, have always had like a countdown on my phone until uh, kickoff. Um, more not even just as like oh yeah no it's it's totally it's totally like dorky and like whatever but genuinely like out of excitement because I like to know like how genuinely like how long is it um, and uh, I, I I did not start it as early as I normally do di- this year um, I think I, I started it a couple of weeks ago um, and uh, yeah no a couple I mean, of weeks I'm, ago I'm, wow. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I normally though, like, I would say I like 2016. I started it like the second the bowl game was over, like, <laughs> I, and I was just like looked at it every day, and like it was the longest off season of my life. This year, you know, I feel like the off season went by a lot quicker. Um, but uh, you know, I'm 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 very much looking forward to football season and all that all that it brings. You know, not just with Michigan football. Like I love fall, and uh, you know, so uh, it's uh, it, I'm I, I would say my vibe is uh, anticipation. All right, uh, we got one on the good side, Alex, the person who actually had one ready. <laughs> what is yours? I have a good vibe. Um, this week, it was announced that Austin Davis signed a professional uh, contract to play basketball in Poland. <laughs> and after following Austin's career at Michigan, um, it's really nice to see that. Came in as a recruit that wasn't heralded by anybody, um, kind of flew under the radar at a, a small school and. The people who are maybe perhaps a little too invested in recruiting are like, why did we recruit this guy? And, you know, for the first few years he was on campus, they were proven right. But under Jawan Howard, he developed a an excellent post game, was really the number one option for the bench units when he was playing. And he will get to continue to live his dream of being a professional basketball player. I think that's that's really cool. Um, I was in way too deep of a rabbit hole recently, and I found out that former Rutgers star Corey Sanders actually led the Polish league in assists last year. He's moved on to an Italian team, but that's your uh, Polish basketball fun fact for the day. And yeah, I guess before concluding my good vibe, I, I think Austin, he could be credibly called a bucket and I'm, you know, excited to see that he's continuing his bucket getting ways. I, I suspect he will get many buckets in Poland if, if Corey Sanders is leading the league in scoring. Uh, assists, Corey Sanders. assists. I couldn't believe. Assists. Yeah, you would think you would Goodness think scoring. Gracious. Yeah, he actually passes the well, ball. Well, that, that, that means that. there are a lot of buckets to go around yeah. if Corey Sanders is leading the league in assists. So I am very excited for the Austin Davis in Poland experience. I'm just imagining these grizzled Polish scouts looking at Austin Davis tape and being like, "Oh man, that guy could really <laughs> score." Moves like a a ballerina out there this guy's that's, bucket yeah that's that's actually like he he's like the fastest moving player they've ever seen in poland actually <laughs> strengths uh foot speed and guarding the pick and roll <laughs> yeah austin austin davis feels spiritually spiritually polish <laughs> he does relative. he does um, i hope he can uh go hunting and fishing out there wherever he is in poland and yes that will be important for uh i, I imagine he will find a forest somewhere and uh get some big country time in and uh 
yeah, we're very happy for Big Country because I was kind of expecting that he would move into a role with the team and to see him continue his playing career instead is is exciting and also something that I would say is very good for the program because uh, Austin Davis can always come back down the road. I think that door is very much open, but it's it's great to see him get a career first. What if he was the coach that took over after Jawan Howard? Like the coolest man alive, Jawan Howard. <laughs> <laughs> and the second right coolest to, man and alive, the, you're Austin right, correct. Davis. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> took the words right out of your mouth. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, God, I was about to pick the worst possible transition, and I'm going with it. Speaking of mouths, my vibe of the week is something I was able to do in uh, one of the group chats that the three of us are in, uh, which was uh, introduce somebody else in the group chat to the David Terrell bomb-ass D story, um, which uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, I'm trying not to get the explicit tag on Apple Podcasts, so... uh, Maybe maybe just Google what I just said. I, I think uh, the answer will appear. And uh, if I just introduced you to the David yeah. Sir- Terrell bomb SD story, you are very welcome. Yeah, to be uh, clear, uh, Ace, what Ace is saying is uh, Google <laughs> David Terrell bomb SD. Just put that in Google and, uh, you know, that'll that'll be great. <laughs> Yes, I, I mean even just David Terrell bomb ass should probably David Terrell bomb even would probably pull it up, but you know, <laughs> you know, do a little search. Uh, I, I think David Terrell's story is actually uh, something that comes up, but um, it's uh, one of the earliest pieces of Michigan football internet lore, and it is a joy to spread around, and. On that note, we went we went three and zero with good vibes this week. So that's that's a great feeling to to close July and head into August when we start really girding ourselves for football, and maybe the vibes start getting a little bit worse. Uh, so we've we are at least uh, feeling good as uh, we we get what we can out of summer and uh, kind of the dead point in the season. So thank you for listening to a podcast about. Uh, the NHL Hockey Draft and Football Media Day. If you made it this far, I commend you. Uh, if you uh, may have missed the uh, illusion earlier, we are now on Apple Podcasts. The bit is dead. The podcast has finally gotten on there. It may have required me to uh, just clear some cookies and uh, try again, but uh, we won't dwell on what caused the delay. What's important is that it's on there now. So please uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, um, follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter, subscribe to the newsletter at thebucketproblem.com, and use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM at homefieldapparel.com for 15% off your first order. Thank you again. This was Episode 5 of The Bucket Problem. Have a good week.